welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by guest Ricky LeBlue again. However, Mike McDaniel's excuses, uh, unfortunately, can only be described as a series of unfortunate events. Today, after, I guess what could only really be described as a year plus of anticipation, he finally got to move it into his new house. And the movers bailed at the last second. He is, according to the five paragraphs of text messages that he sent us, <laughs> very frustrated with the situation, and I do not envy him. But we will carry on without him. Ricky, how are you, man? I'm doing better than Mike, that's for sure. Um, hopefully he's able to get that straightened out because, yeah, that's a that's a mess. I mean... It's Mike, the kid, and the wife. So there's only so much manual labor that can be done <laughs> in that group. But um, yeah, moving into a new place is stressful, and obviously they, you know, they got the little one. But um, nobody looks as comfortable as you do right now. You look extremely comfortable in your bed. I am quite comfortable. Um... Unfortunately, the the rest of the audience won't be able to see this, but. Andrew Alex laying down in bed is quite a sight, folks. Yeah, only uh, <laughs> only the the lucky few get to see that. But uh, <laughs> but we're chilling. It's a late night recording. Uh, you know who's not chilling? Who? Yeah. Brent Pry. My man is not chilling right now. I thought you were gonna say Jeremy Counts over at Main Street Pharmacy because he's <laughs> never chilling. Main Street That's Pharmacy, true. <laughs> Pharmacy that you want to go to when you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor. Not a number. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. But yes, Brent Pry is not chilling. Uh, no one's chilling. Yeah. Virginia Tech has lost their last two games, big consequential rivalry games. By big amounts. Yes, by a combined score of 73 to 20. <laughs> I didn't have high expectations coming into this one, Ricky. You you were the only one, uh, I believe, that correctly predicted the West Virginia loss, and at least on our podcast. And then I think all three of us were in agreement because we didn't record last week. But I think all three of us were in agreement that Virginia Tech was going to lose to Carolina. Now, did I think they were going to lose by thirty-one? No, no, I did not. I feel like I, you know, with these predictions I've been making. That have remained relatively conservative. Just not how I feel like many of you are remaining conservative, if you will, by choosing this team to outright win these games. You know, kind of just leaning on your hope. You know, when I pick like 35-17, kind of me doing the same thing. Because after West Virginia, the writing was kind of on the wall. Now, I think my final prediction was, I think it was 35-17 or something in that range. But I kind of figured that, like, if I was going to be off, it would be Carolina scores more points. I was correct. But I also figured that, hey, maybe Virginia Tech could put up more than 17 against this, you know, UNC defense that had struggled against the likes of Florida A&M for a few quarters. Yeah, for those who aren't familiar with Carolina's schedule earlier this year, North Carolina beat Florida A&M by 32 points. Uh, that Florida A&M team was playing with, like, four healthy offensive linemen. Um, they had 22 players suspended because of academic ineligibility due to mistakes that were made by the university administration. Yeah, so... It was, like, their entire team. Yeah, and and mind you, it's Florida A and M that we're talking about, right? Like not Texas A and M, Florida A and M, and they beat Florida A and M, the Rattlers, by the way, by thirty two points. They walked into Keenan in a rainy, uh, lackluster environment and whooped Virginia Tech by thirty one. 
Yeah. I mean, the best thing that Florida A&M has going for them on any given season is the marching band, the marching 100 at Florida <laughs> A&M. That is a legit band. That is probably the best marching band in the country. But even at full strength, they're at best a middle-of-the-road FCS team. And not at full strength. They were able to give that Carolina defense trouble. Uh, Virginia Tech, quite simply, was not. And I think that the most glaring, the most obvious moment, you know, of the football game came early. When time after time on fourth down, regardless of circumstance, you know, field position, total score in the game at that point, whatever, Matt Brown was just on one and willing to go for it on fourth down. Like, yeah, because that's how little respect he had for the Virginia Tech offense. And even in the moment, I sit there and I'm like, I don't blame you. Like, you know, I, I'm just hanging out with friends watching the game. But I think even the first time it happened, I said, watch them go for it. Like, you know, why not? Deep in enemy territory, you think that this Virginia Tech offense is going to drive 80 yards and punish you for this? The answer is probably not. Whereas Drake Bang and the Carolina offense, they could do turn the ball over on downs. And you could get it right back. back. You could score <laughs> one play again. Like it was an early instinct from Mac Brown, and he was totally correct in this scenario. It was a statement. It was yeah, a it was just, a shot across no. the bow right from the get go. Yeah, exactly. Just step on the throat. Why not? If you can, you can. You figure that it's going to happen eventually. But if you have this Virginia Tech defense, which is, you know, the strength of the team, and, you know, they did not play particularly well by any means, but, you know, they played about a par football game from what we'd expect to see against this Carolina offense, who, to their credit, is a very explosive group that could give entire ACC problems. I would push back on that. I expected Tech's defense to be much better. I mean, I didn't expect them to shut Carolina down and, you know, keep them under 20 points. But, I mean, there were there were guys just running wide open in the secondary, like from start to finish. Um, you know, our, both Armani Chapman and Bria, because, you know, Dorian Strong didn't play in this game, and I think that – certainly played a role, but both Chapman and Murray were beat consistently downfield. Um, Carolina had 10 plays of 20 yards or more in this game, many of which were through the air. Um, it was just a, it was a very unsettling performance for this tech defense. I was, I was kind of disturbed watching how easy it was for Carolina to move the ball down the field. I mean, it was just easy. They're, they averaged something like seven or eight yards of play on first down, something like that. Like you, you got no shot if you're going to give up seven, eight yards of play on first down. You got no chance. I mean, you're right. <laughs> I mean, there's no doubt about that. And Tech's defensive backs were uh, entirely underwhelming, and the linebackers too. Da- I mean, in, in it, uh, you know, we we picked on Dax a ton, right? Because coverage is not his strong suit. They bring in Will Johnson as the as the backup Mike in this game and he was looked the same. Like the the entire linebacking core struggled just as much in in coverage. I mean it was a it was a total breakdown defensively. They they struggled to get pressure on Drake May and they paid the price for it just about every single time. I mean there were guys running wide open. There was little resistance offered by the Virginia Tech defense, and I, I got to admit, I, I did not see that coming. I mean, I, I think I, I predicted 27 to 17, and, I mean, UNC. That was optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, UNC blew by that number, you know, and um, part of that was because I thought the weather was going to be worse. I expected the rain to stick around a little bit longer, but it actually cleared out relatively quickly. Um, and all you have really was a wet field, but yeah, I mean, three of three on fourth down, as you mentioned, um, 
it, it was just it was it was, just, really, I mean, it, was it was a clinic it was a clinic. yeah it was and it's it's unsettling because you know as as we move through the first year of Brent Pry and and eventually the second year we all know that this team is not where it needs to be right now and we all know that it's not going to be where it needs to be right now but you still want to see some progress like you, you want to see the team making you know taking steps in the right direction relatively consistently for the last 2 weeks this team has taken like two massive steps backward i mean it, it, it the offense has it looks really really rough Grant Wells is not comfortable back there at quarterback. The offensive line has generated no push in the run game. The receivers are wholly inconsistent. But defensively, which was the 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 place on this team we thought could make some strides, continue to get better, keep Virginia Tech in ball games, they've been completely outmatched in the last two games against. A middling West Virginia team, you know, let's be honest, West Virginia is not all that good. I believe they just got blown out by Texas. And Carolina, who has had all of their struggles, um, albeit not really on the offensive end, but Tech's defense just just looked really, really bad these last two weeks. And, And you're starting to wonder, I mean, what games on the schedule will Virginia Tech be able to keep relatively close because I'm not sure that the pit game is one of them. Well, yeah, Ricky. I mean, you talk about unsettling, I guess that's a good word. This is reality. I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be, you know, kind of measured in my words because it is early, right? It's Brent Price first year. This is not his roster. I get that. But as a coaching staff, you've, you've got to work with what you've got. And, um, we're not seeing the progress that Brent Pry claims to be making. Yeah. I mean, look. And that, that it worries me. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't blame you. Again, I'm not here to make any bold declarations or anything like that. And obviously, I, I think I promised myself going into the season that I wouldn't make a full evaluation. Maybe the full evaluation, you know, like Brent Pryor's not getting fired after this year, so no, no, it is what and he it won't is. get fired after next year. Yeah, we'll get fired. Nor should he. Nor should he. You could read tea leaves, and it's probably even too early to be reading tea leaves. But nonetheless, you know, even as a fan, just with interest in this individual season, where some people, Ricky Blue being one of them, came in with higher expectations than others. What was I thinking? Yeah, I mean, I had modest expectations, six and six, and that seems pretty bullish at this point. Uh, incredibly bullish, really. But yeah, <laughs> God, six and six is a bullish prediction. What a but, what a time to be alive. I mean, look, right? You go in, you'll lose that first game to Old Dominion, and you can pin it on all the mistakes see that the defense played a good game, albeit against Old Dominion, and be like, okay, it's not the end of the world. You go in, great environment. We were both there. Boston College. Big, resounding home victory. Brent Price home debut. You know, a reason to smile again. Those set performance against Wofford. You can convince yourself not to read too much into it. You know, at least on the offensive side of the ball, um, albeit, I'd say being 2020, is a good indicator of things to come. Yep. You get into these two games, you know, big rivalry games that, you know, maybe in this season don't mean that much. Uh, certainly still meant a lot to the opponents, still certainly meant a lot to the fans. Where there was in, in a conference like the ACC, right? There's going to be a, you know, with relative parity. Sure. Though you might not be a great team, you can kind of write out what you think the route to victory would look like. 
and for Virginia Tech in both of these games, that game plan, that path to victory, looked the same. Whereas this defense is supposed to be really good, and we can hold them to just enough that the offense can overcome that. And that was a path to victory that in plenty of years for Virginia Tech in the past, you know, dating back to our childhood, the glory Beamer days, you know, that worked wonders. You know, it, it wasn't always pretty, but Virginia Tech would get nine, 10 wins a year at minimum, even in seasons where that was what was resorted to. Yep. And on both ends of that equation here, dominant defense to rely on and competent offense that can be trusted to you know will their way to just enough both of those through two games against very you know cared about opponents in virginia tech lore that was like a pipe dream man like it's, yeah it, it was just that that hypothesis was just proven to be completely false we're so far removed from 2000 and even like 2008 you know 2009 when the team started to slip a little bit they were still you know top 25 just about every week um but you know the team was still you know pretty good and, and nationally relevant um it's so far removed from that. It's 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 light years behind 2016. It's light years behind 2017 when Tech only won nine games that year. Um, it ain't that close to 2019. Yeah, I mean, this... I don't think that this team's going to quit like the, 20, uh, the 2018 team did because the 2018 team absolutely quit in the in the middle to the second half of the season um and ended up you know obviously pulling out a win against UVA at the end but I, I I don't think the team's gonna quit under Brent Pry but we're probably due for another two to three blowout losses I think this year I don't think there's a way that that tech's gonna be able to loot to keep it one score with Pitt um even though the Panthers kind of struggled last week against Georgia Tech. I mean, you look at the schedule, NC State. I mean, I, I think NC State's pretty good. And I know they ended up losing to Clemson, but Clemson's defense is really good this year. So NC State's going to be a huge problem on both sides of the football. Um, you just go up and down the schedule. I mean, I, I know Miami's got, Got some quarterback issues, but Miami's got talent. I don't think Tech has anywhere close to that level. And that's probably going to be a get-right game for Miami. So we end up having to move, you know, a month from now before we start looking at games that are, you know, remotely winnable. You're looking at Liberty, and that's that's a toss-up at this point. Georgia Tech, is that a toss-up right now? I would argue yes, because uh, Georgia Tech played far better under – uh, Brent Key than they have been under Jeff Collins. UVA's got their got plenty of their own problems. They're trying to figure out who they are as a football team. So there's you know, and Duke. I mean, it, it, if you had to if you had to set a line for Virginia Tech and Duke right now, it's like Duke minus ten at least, Duke minus thirteen, something like that. I mean, it, it's like that's Duke's Tech a four and one football team with one loss, and that's against the number nineteen team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A team that's undefeated. So it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a rough year. I tweeted that after the game. I was like, this is gonna be a rough fall, and it was kind of it was kind of a, a play on words there, right? Because um, it's the fall season, but like Tech is falling right now in terms of in terms of the prestige and how the university's football program is viewed nationally. Like this year's, you could argue that it took a hit under Fuente, and I would agree with that, um, especially the last couple of seasons. But this year's not going to help. And um, 
the more that tech gets blown out on national television is it's just it's a really bad look for the football program and it makes the job of Brent prime more difficult when he's got to sell this program to high school coaches and and high school football players. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, no doubt about that, Ricky. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. And I mean, it's the hand he was dealt. I never thought this team was going to be particularly good. But, I mean, it kind of is what it is at this point. And, what are your thoughts on Grant Wells? I mean, Grant Wells is... Because a lot of folks are calling for Jason Brown to go ahead and, and get a chance to, to be the starter, and I'm curious as to what you think. I mean, here's some real talk. Uh, Grant Wells has to play pretty darn bad. And to the point that he has played right now, I mean, I was calling for Jason Brown uh, against North Carolina primarily because the game was so far out of reach that, like, if the coaches genuinely think that Grant Wells is the better player than Jason Brown, then Grant Wells gives Virginia Tech a better chance to win. You know, mid to late second half against North Carolina, when Grant Wells was struggling, why not put in Jason Brown? Like, because at that point, you're just risking Grant Wells getting hurt. And if the kid could provide a spark, you know, you convinced Jason Brown, who probably had other options. Now, it might not have been higher prestige, you know, in terms of brand name Power 5 University. than he got with Virginia Tech. I don't know what else was out there for him. But he won two games in the SEC. Certainly, someone would have taken him with a guaranteed chance to start, whether that be group of five or whatever. You know, he came, he committed, give him a shot in a game and see what happens now. It could get dicey if he were to, like, light it up, but, you know, if it's really that much better than Grant Wells and we find that out, so be it. But long-term of the program, it's best to run Grant Wells out there and see what he's got because the running theory going into the season for people who were very optimistic about Grant Wells and his ceiling and what he could become. This is a guy that could be the quarterback of Virginia Tech for the next three years or something like that, right? Two, three years. Yeah. And if that's not the case, you want to have a large sample size to know for certain. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he seems like he does have arm talent or whatever. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. arm talent or whatever. He's a Division One quarterback that knows how to throw a football. Like, he's got a strong arm. He does. I mean, I, I, would, I would absolutely agree with that. And a lot of folks are calling for Jason Brown because Grant Wells isn't playing well. And I think that that's – I mean, it's not – completely out of bounds but for the little that we've seen of jason brown i don't know what you get from him that you aren't getting from grant wells grant wells is just as athletic he's just as mobile jason brown isn't isn't an exemplary athlete uh given what we've seen in preseason in the spring and in you know fall camp and and so far this year i think grant wells's arm talent is considerably better now, if you think that Jason Brown's going to be able to take care of the football, then sure. Uh, but you know, we don't really know if he's got the if he's capable of doing that. But for those folks that are clamoring for Jason Brown, I just I, I don't know what you're going to get out of him that you're not getting right now. And and I'm not of the of the mind that you know Tech needs to go ahead and burn Devin Farrell's red shirt. I think that that's a mistake. So. Grant Wells seems like he's your guy for better or for worse, unless this really gets off the rails and, you know, he starts throwing picks like Nate Peterman. Yeah, for sure, Ricky. And honestly, you know, this period of time, this month of October for Virginia Tech is certainly not the time to catch Grant Wells, right? Because Grant Wells, supposedly the quarterback of the future, like I said, you want to really figure out whether that's going to be the case or not. Or whether at least it, it is a option worth considering. 
because there's no doubt in my mind, and this is, you know, I mean, no offense to Grant Wells here, that barring some seismic turn of events in the way that he's playing, that Tech isn't going to be exploring their options elsewhere come transfer portal time. Yeah, I mean, there there is a very reasonable chance that the starting quarterback of the 2023 Virginia Tech Hokies is not on the roster. And so, it, it, it could come from the portal, and it could even come from the from the recruiting trail, depending on who you bring in. I mean, that's you know not not as likely, obviously, but I think it's a very good chance that maybe not a very good chance, but it's certainly a, a, a reasonable chance that neither Grant Wells nor Devin Farrell are the quarterbacks of the future for Virginia Tech, and that Brent Pry, uh, Tyler Bowen, Brad Glenn have to still try and figure that out. Yeah, and, and rebuilding is a process, of course. And I think that if taken advantageously, the transfer portal is the best hope of a speedy rebound. Transfer portal and the development of what you got at enough positions where you can fill in those gaps, create a little bit of depth, and then suddenly, you know, this could be what you want it to be maybe not next year but two years from now in terms of maybe not really what you want it to be but starting to show really positive signs heading in that direction because this roster is not going to be a uh, an overnight thing unfortunately but with Grant Wells for these next few games you know you look at Pittsburgh you look at Miami you look at North Carolina State like I mean, North Carolina State's the number 14 team in the country Pittsburgh already coming in a 14-point favorite, despite losing to Georgia. 14-point favorites against Hokies. Uh, Miami's loss to Middle Tennessee State uh, would be surprised if they're not still double-digit favorites at Lane Stadium. Virginia Tech is... I'm almost tempted to say more likely to go 0 and 3 over this span than anything better. And in the ACC Coastal, in the ACC in general, that's a bold proclamation, but that's kind of just how I feel right now today. So, in games that you might not win, probably won't win. Now is a good time to evaluate Grant Wells because ultimately, like, if it becomes a saving face thing at the end of the season. You know Grant Wells isn't the guy, and he's really proven himself to be that. And maybe Jason Brown gives you a little bit better of a chance to beat Georgia Tech, Liberty, Duke, and Virginia. Go ahead and play him. Because Grant Wells isn't going to be the guy next year, and it doesn't matter. Because at this point, the difference is Grant Wells can't be back next year. Jason Brown won't. Might as well build towards the future. Grant Wells is in the future. Jason Brown gives you a better chance to win. And there you go. Play him. But right now, I would be very opposed to moving away from Wells really until at least the NC State game. And that would require true bottoming out from Wells. Who, by the way, like, you know, he hasn't been great. He's not working with a lot. Uh, I don't think that. Replacing him with someone marginally better. Like, we're not talking about Bryce Young here, but... Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's not going to make the team that much better. The team's got a myriad of issues. So, it kind of is what it is. So, where am I on Grant Wells right now? Like, it's just total meh, if you know what I mean. Kind of still in wait-and-see mode. But I, I, I think that as tends to be a theme this season. Those who came in with super high expectations about anything obviously proven disappointed at this point. Yeah, and another reason I'm kind of unsettled is I haven't seen a ton of um, a ton of creativity and and growth from Tyler Bowen as a play caller. 
And I know it's early on in his play calling career. He hasn't really done it all that much. And that was one of the reasons I was a bit worried about it when he was named offensive coordinator, because he's only got, you know, like two or three games of play calling experience at the FBS level coming in. But some of the, some of the concepts that they're running on third downs, you know, whether it be throws that are way short of the chains or runs up the middle, um, just haven't I, I haven't seen Tech find a way uh, to get their their best playmakers the ball enough. You know, this is a team that's kind of limited on offensive playmakers. You know, you've got Caleb Smith, uh, Keyshawn King is obviously probably the he's probably the most explosive player on the roster. Um, I haven't seen enough in trying to get them the ball in any way possible. You know. You, You've got a running game that's really, really struggled so far this year. I don't think they've averaged higher than like 3.8 yards per carry in a single game. I'm pretty sure their highest rushing output of the year is like 144 yards. So you're struggling in in the traditional run game. So try and find ways to get Keyshawn King the ball otherwise. And we've seen him have some receptions. And when he does get those opportunities, they work out really well. But we're not seeing enough of it. Keyshawn King is only getting, you know, a handful of touches a game. And again, for an offense that's devoid of, you know, serious offensive playmakers, guys who are dynamic and explosive, you've got to, you know, go with your best guys more often than not. And I don't feel like we've seen enough targets for Caleb Smith, even though he's had some injury issues earlier in the season. Uh, I don't think we're seeing enough for Keyshawn King kind of wondering why Chance Black, uh, I'm not even sure he got any opportunities against Carolina. I'm going to pull that up right now. Um, okay, Chance Black had five carries and one reception. And he was someone that we thought may have been one of the more explosive guys in the backfield, and he gets six touches. So Tech's really spreading it around right now on offense, and I'm not sure that that's the best way to go about it. You know, Daquan Wright had four catches against Carolina. Is there a chance that they can maybe get him more involved in the passing game? I sure hope so. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously we didn't see much of King in the second half. He had 50 yards, 52 in the first half, broke out the big 25-yarder. Pride comes out and says he's not 100% after the game. Not a winnable game, so an acceptable excuse. Uh, but I think Keyshawn King was the lone four-star recruit on this offense. And God, he was a four-star? I didn't even know that. He was. He was. Man. Class of 2019. One of yeah, that's bad when you've got one one four-star on the offense, right? That's not very good. But, I mean, you know, stars aren't everything, you know, when you're talking to, like, Christian Derisaw, right? Like, of course. Yes, there are plenty of examples. You know, you look at the NFL, and some of the best players in the NFL, you know, it's always the example that's made. Dante Adams was a two-star recruit. Yes, like, people can outperform what their expectations were coming out of high school. But if you look at, you know, the best players in the NFL at large, many, if not most of them, are SEC players, Ohio State's. Every Every analysis of blue chips and where they go at the college level shows that there is a serious correlation with the number of blue chip prospects that you get and how well your team is. So, um, obviously, there's you know going to be exceptions throughout that, as you've mentioned. There's plenty of five stars that have busted. There's plenty of four stars that have busted. There's plenty of two and three star guys that have gone on to get big paydays in the NFL. We know this, but again, again, like you mentioned, there's that if you bring in that that kind of talent, more often than not, those evaluations are going to be relatively correct. And you've got a higher chance of that player developing into a contributor if they come in with a higher ranking. So that's going to be on Brent Pry's plate for the next two to three seasons at least. 
um, trying to recruit higher caliber players in here, and then he's going to have to develop them. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ricky, I mean, it's essentially a very complicated way to say that talent matters, recruiting matters, and it's not a... And development matters. And And that's something that the previous regime did a poor, poor job of. Exactly. You know, you, you have... You know, Caleb, Caleb Smith's a perfect example. Caleb Smith's a good player. I don't think Caleb Smith should be the best wide receiver on this team. Caleb he Smith was, was very good in his time. previous role of the third best wide receiver. And he seems to even, in small flashes so far this year, have improved upon how good he was before. And maybe that's just, you know, further exposure. But, you know, plenty of these players and not necessarily all of them, but plenty of them could be contributors on a pretty guard, darn good football team. But just the average level of talent is too low. It was these are guys who were, you know, considered to be middle of the road talent wise for power five players coming out of high school and they're performing like middle of the road to lower as a unit as an offense. But Virginia Tech has the you know, when you look at the average recruiting ranking coming out of high school, one of the lowest average rankings in Power 5 for the starters as a whole, combine that with the lack of development under the previous regime. And unfortunately, you know, this is kind of what you get. So, long story short, you know, it's just it's not incredibly surprising, for me at least. You know, I did think it would be better than it has shown itself to be. And I do believe that the talent on this unit has the potential to show themselves to be better going forward. But when the story of the last two games was how vulnerable the defenses are of your opponent and your offensive output over the course of eight quarters, 20 points, leaves a lot to be desired. To put it in the kindest way I can. Yeah, I was gonna say to put it mildly. Um, and you know, I I think we're seeing kind of the same issue at Pitt right now, right? I mean, Kenny Pickett leaves, Jordan Addison leaves. Um, they bring in Keaton Slovis, who hasn't really played poorly per se, but he's only got five touchdown passes uh, to this point. But Pitt's an offense that is clearly lacking the firepower that they had last year. And um, this feels like it's this offense feels not like Boston college level, but it's certainly nowhere close to like UNC level. So we're looking at somewhere in between. Don't you think? Yeah. No, I mean like Pitt's all right. Like this is a team that, is experiencing a little bit of a downturn. And they have high expectations coming into the year, and they're, you know, sitting at three and two right now, which is, and, you know, for, in terms of the conference, what, they're 0 and 1 because they just lost to George Deck. Correct. I mean, you have a game against West Virginia where they have to come back to emerge victorious. They hang in there with Tennessee, which is kind of an accomplishment in and of itself. Defensively, uh, shows some vulnerability against Rhode Island a few weeks ago, which I heard this nationally from someone. I guess it was on Twitter. But, and I think this was about the spread in the game, which was relatively high, and I'll double-check right now, actually. Yeah, spread coming into the Georgia Georgia Tech pit game is pit minus 21 and a half. And whoever yeah. the analyst is says, it just showed some vulnerability. Georgia Tech, new coach, kind of a toxicity out of the air, and you have no idea what they're going to throw at you. I think they can cover 21 and a half, and obviously they take it a step further. But in terms of sheer talent, I, I, I don't think Pitt has the issues that Virginia Tech has. Kind of the same story with Miami, you know, going forward two weeks. Pitt's not a world beater. They lost to Georgia Tech. Miami, obviously, 
not a world beater. They get outsmarted by one of the great coaches in football, Rex Stockstill. <laughs> oh man, Hall of Fame is awaiting. Yeah, I know. Just name the stadium after him. <laughs> man, but, uh, statue. But nonetheless, like I think that on average, when you play a game X amount of times, hundred times, the Pitt team and the Miami team are going to be able to provide higher quality results just because of the talent that's there. They're better at the quarterback position. They're better at the skill positions. And they're better on the offensive line. Virginia Tech's defense can have a good day. We don't know what the status of Dorian Strong is going forward. He's the best corner on the team. Yep. But the way they're playing coy about it isn't encouraging. I don't expect to see him back this week. I don't know when to expect to see him back. I wouldn't be incredibly surprised. We don't see him back until the month of November, if at all. Yep. And. That's not good. It's not good. It's not good. Now, it is encouraging that Mansur Delane played, I thought, relatively decent in, in limited opportunities against Carolina. Um, and I, I would actually hope that him and DJ Harvey <clears throat> would get a bit more run against Pitt after such a, a poor showing from Armani Chapman and, and Breon Murray. I understand that those are your experienced vets on the roster and you want to kind of rely on them, but they were, they, they had a very, very poor outing against Carolina. And um, I think both Delane and Harvey have earned you know, some opportunity to go out there and and see what they can do with some more snaps as opposed to just coming in and spelling guys. In a series of games, and this kind of is related to my Grant Wells point, but it's the opposite almost. In a series of games with Miami, Pittsburgh, and North Carolina State this month, where you look to be double-digit underdogs in all of them. It is a good opportunity for Brent Pry and the coaching staff who, you know, I don't want people coming at me and saying I'm calling to fire the coach or whatever, but, like, they clearly don't have it all figured out right now. Nope. Uh, figure it out. You know, throw some guys out there. Give them meaningful snaps. So then by the time you get to the end of the season, with Georgia Tech, Liberty, Duke, and uh, – you know, the University of Virginia, you have four winnable games. Find out what that best combination of players that you have to throw out there is and go out and try to win as many games as you can because ultimately, like, it, it, especially if you can end the season on a winning note, that's going to make a major difference in terms of momentum uh, for this Staff on the recruiting trail for perception of the program, both regionally uh, amongst the fan base and then nationally, which is important. Like, I think one thing that happened to Jeff Collins, despite the fact that I, I think he was just head scratching higher to begin with, was never that good. <laughs> but, you know, once everyone just starts to think that you're trash. Like it's hard to run away from that. I yeah, I had this. I had an interaction with someone on Facebook today talking about you know someone asked about Coach Beamer and they were like, well, you know, Coach Beamer had seven years and then he finally got things going. And I was like, there's no way Frank would be afforded that opportunity in today's climate. Like you. It is it is critically important that you establish credibility early, not and and that goes with all sorts of of stakeholders, right? It's it's with your your bosses, the administration. It's with donors to the program. It's with fans. Uh, it's with recruits and high school coaches. It's with, uh, you know, every every possible interest group in college football you, that you can think of, 
the media. Like you have to establish credibility in a shorter amount of time now than you did 40 years ago. This is a completely different sport. Our culture has changed completely. Um, and no, I'm not asking and, and demanding and expecting Brent Pry to win, you know, the rest of the year and, you know, somehow pull out this miraculous finish and then go out and win 10 games next year. But you do have to show a positive trend line. And I, it's early in year one. We have to, you know, give him credit. We're really only in the middle of the year right now. Um, but the trend line is not good. So there's still time to correct that. And even if Virginia Tech goes out and loses these next three games, if they go out there and play tough and they, they stay competitive and they look like they're, they're only a few pieces away, Tech fans, I think, can handle that and, and, and can be, you know, take some, some comfort in the sense that, yeah, people like to, you know, piss on moral victories. But when you're in a rebuilding phase like this, those things matter. And um, right now, it, it's all about showing progress and, and building a culture and building that trend line upwards. And the last two weeks have been a drastic step back, two steps back. And Brent, it's up to Brent Pry and his staff to, to get that reset. Yeah, Ricky, I mean, I, I think you put it very well. And, you know. I don't do that very often. <laughs> let's uh, start my dissertation, like, in defense of Jeff Collins. But, uh, like. Don't do that. It's too late. I mean, you talk about a rebuild, and that was going to be the biggest rebuild of them all. And I think that even the folks at Georgia Tech knew that there was going to be pain involved. The problem with Jeff Collins and his teams were they never showed any improvement, despite the terrible schedules that were, you know, afforded to him in those first few years, even yep. in the games that should have been winnable. Like, it just never looked good. It never did. And for Brent Pry, at some point this season, there needs to be a sense that Virginia Tech has is building some sort of momentum. Yep. And it's going to be a challenge because the problem that led to Brent Pry having this job in the first place is that Justin Fuente did less with more talent-wise in the previous two years. You play that 2020 season and COVID and all that crap that happened, notwithstanding. A thousand times, that team was talented enough to win eight, nine games, and they went five and six. Yep. Last year, and let's just even rewind double, right? Hendon Hooker is the quarterback instead of Burmeister. Even when Burmeister was healthy, they were so close. That team's talented enough to win eight, nine games. So Virginia Tech fans are used to seeing a team talented enough to win eight, nine games limp into six. Yeah. So given the amount of talent on this roster right now, and you almost have to be thankful for guys like Dax Hollyfield, who we can criticize all we want, but he's one of the better players on the roster. And he chose to come back when he might have been afforded an opportunity elsewhere and things could be much worse. But this roster talent-wise is maybe other than the quarterback position, given the injuries that Burmeister had last year, are worse almost all around. I guess you could say the defense probably shouldn't prove it's most of the same guys compared to two years ago. Night and day offensively. Yeah. Like, this team was always going to be a team hovering around six wins now that we've seen what we've seen. And it's Brent Pry's job to get them there. And I think that the schedule, as painful as it might be right now, gives you the opportunity to win a bunch. And even if you only end up with five wins at the end of the year, 
You win three of four in the month of November. Try not to, I mean, I guess all those losses would be kind of embarrassing on paper. Try not to have it be UVA or Liberty. Gotta beat UVA. Even in a rebuild, like that's a a must-have, especially when they're as, they're as, you know, inconsistent and bad as they are right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Worst team in the ACC could be decided uh, right after Thanksgiving. Worst offense seems like it. I'm not Their saying defense that looks improved. UVA's defense was atrocious last year. They look better. I'm not saying that this is this is the reason why, but I did make an observation on Twitter this past weekend that Tony Elliott leaves Clemson and DJ Uyangale all of a sudden looks a lot closer to what folks thought he would look like when he first took over that job last year. Tony Elliott comes to UVA and Brennan Armstrong looks like he has no idea what he's doing. I'm just well, Tony Elliott was also the offense coordinator for Trevor Lawrence, but maybe Trevor Lawrence can has the ability to overcome adversity. And I was going to say, when you've got, you know, the highest rated like quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, you know, it, it's kind of hard to jack that up as an offensive coordinator. <laughs> Especially when the Just defense saying. allows like three points per game, but <laughs> yeah, but nonetheless. Um, and hell, I mean, I think I think T. Law was like one of the highest graded quarterbacks, like coming out of high school of all time. Like, he, like he there was, were he was up there. I think Field was actually a higher graded recruit in the class of them. I yeah, but, but not that he was shabby at the collegiate level. Anyway, <laughs> just taking a taking a dig at, at Tony Elliott because you know he you know. Yes, tech fans are not happy with the way things are going right now, but neither are UVA fans. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not here to declare that tech is uh, the worst team in the ACC because. But they're in the conversation. It's, it's October, you know, it's October 5th today. They're, there's probably, of the day recording, like, the fifth. probably like three or four teams right now in that conversation. You figure Boston College. Gotta be one of them. Boston College, um, Georgia Tech, UVA, and Virginia Tech. Yeah, Duke has played their way into that conversation. Duke is long gone from that conversation, dude. Duke is Duke's got the coastal on their on their plate right now, and I'll be honest, I haven't watched a ton of them this year. But given you know, Pitt's been shaky. We know that Carolina defense is not all that good, despite giving up just 10 to the Smokies. The Coastal's wide open, as per usual. Tyler Van Dyke got benched. Um, hey, man, Mike Elko might know what he's doing. Andrew might have to throw on the throw on the Duke sweater in November. To my closet. <laughs> <laughs> so we've been running real long here, Ricky, so we should probably speed it up but yeah let's do our picks and we'll get out of here all right i mean the beauty of the acc is there is a lot of parody and no one's that good so a lot of interesting matchups on saturday uh we'll start off in uh, charlottesville where louisville is a three-point favorite on the road against uva scott satterfield's not having fun like they've they've got they've got real issues over there um I don't know what the answer is either because they're they're probably going to get worse next year. Do we know what the status is of Malik Cunningham? Like, is he going to be able to play? Uh, let's see, he's listed as day to day as of this morning. Well, if he doesn't play, then I don't think Louisville's got a shot. Um, he basically makes that team run. So I guess I'm gonna go with UVA. I mean, they're home dogs, and I think Louisville's the better team. But if Malik's out, then I I don't see I don't see uh, the Cards winning this. UVA just hasn't impressed me at Especially all. Especially since I'll Louisville just I'll lost to BC. Plays. I'll take Louisville to cover. Uh, Duke, Georgia Tech. In Atlanta, Duke a three point favorite. I'll take Duke. Yeah, give me give me the Blue Devils. Um, I don't think Georgia Tech's going to be able to replicate much from uh, their win against Pitt. 
Vegas thinks the Duke's overhyped or Georgia Tech's sneaky. One of the two. I uh, I think Georgia Tech's a little sneaky because they obviously, you know, you've got a brand new coach in there, but Duke's Duke's got something rolling. So, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the Blue Devils. Yeah, no, I, I'm right there with you. Clemson, 20 and a half point favorites against Boston College. How many people are going to be at this game? 7.30 on a Saturday outside Boston? Something around five people. For a team that's two and three. Give me, um, and I don't know, give me Boston College to keep it within three touchdowns. I'll take Clemson. That's probably the safe pick. I'm an idiot, but I'm going to go ahead and roll with BC. Virginia Tech can beat Boston College by 17. Then uh, I think Clemson <laughs> can be fine. Uh, UNC Miami, probably the most intriguing game of the week for me. Uh, Miami, a three and a half point favorite. I'll take UNC. This I think, is a cr- I think Drake I don't understand. the freaking deal, my friend. That is a pro quarterback. How is Miami favored in this game? Well, I mean, they get three points for being at home, and they're three and a half point favorites. So I guess they're outright favorites. Right. Still not so sure. Yeah, I'm I'm not buying that. Give me Carolina to win that. I mean again, like Miami allows forty five points to Middle Tennessee. I think Carolina could do some damage. <laughs> like, like with Carolina, the game is keeping up with them. And uh, you know, thus far, reality is they're four and one because despite the Shortcomings of their defense, no one's been able to. Though App State gave them a real shot. Uh, so, yeah, give me, give me the heels. Uh, last one here before we get to Tech. Last couple, I should say. Wake, a 16.5 point favorite at home against Army. Wake. Yeah, I like Wake in this one too. Another high flying offense. Wake is going to have another season to be proud of here. Sam Harbin, just a true success story of development at the collegiate level. That's the story of, you know, Dave Clawson. Yeah, no, that's his bread and butter. And, you know, A.T. Perry uh, can fall into that category, too. He's a uh, heck of a receiver. A Florida State and NC State. NC State three-and-a-half-point favorites. I kind of like Florida State in this. It's a giant game for both of these teams. Florida State's trying to kind of solidify themselves as a legitimate, you know, threat in the in the Atlantic. NC State's coming off that loss against Clemson. I'm going to take NC State uh, uh, just because this is in Raleigh. If this was in Tallahassee, I'd have a serious issue uh, taking them. But I'm going to go with the Wolfpack here. Uh, yeah, I'm going to take Florida State to uh, cover that one. Not sure who wins. I think it's close. All right. 14 and a half. Hits the favorites. Catch up bottle. Yeah, the the unbranded ketchup bottle. Um, Tickets as low as $23. I was going to say, here's another game that you're going to have a struggle getting fans to, man. That that Georgia Tech pit game, there were like three people in the stands all together, and ESPN kept showing the same like group of students trying to be like, oh, yeah, this is a great atmosphere. And then you, they do the wide view, and there's just thousands and thousands of empty seats. Hey, you um, look at the resale value of these tickets, Ricky? Yeah. Uh, the highest of all of them is Wake Army. 71 is the lowest. Hey, man, you, you want to go watch that slow mesh? The uh, lowest. Miami, North Carolina. I think it's the lowest 10. Well, well, of course. Miami fans don't care about that program. Come on. Um, There's no way that Tech covers 14 and a half. Um, I mean, I, should, I guess I shouldn't say that. There's no way any, any, anyone could seriously believe that they would cover 14 and a half. Anything's possible, but... 
given what we've seen over the last two weeks, I don't think Virginia Tech is going to be able to keep this within two touchdowns. So I will take Pitt to cover at home. And uh, my score prediction will be uh, 34 to 13. Tech, yeah. Tech off the, get, they go, excuse me. They get off the bubble of 10 points. Yeah, Ricky. Uh, the uh, in Pitt's games so far, you know, thirty-eight points against West Virginia, twenty-seven points against Tennessee, thirty-four against Western Michigan, even twenty-one against Georgia Tech, being their lowest output. It's like I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Virginia Tech could pull a sneaker here. Obviously, Pitt's not Superman, but they're the most vulnerable team in the in this tough stretch here. I think that's fair to say. They're Pitt's more vulnerable than NC State, I think, and I would argue that they're more vulnerable than Miami just because the the level of playmaker for Miami is so high, even if they always play down. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. The irony is that, you know, we talk about this difficult stretch. None of the, I mean, North Carolina State's pretty good, but none of these teams are world beaters by any stretch of the imagination. But they just all seem, the way that Tech is playing offensively right now, like a lot of things need to go right in order for you to win. And I am, until I see at least one game of otherwise, I'm not going to get my hopes up. So I wouldn't bet on this game, honestly. No, no I wouldn't either. 14 and a half. But for the sake of this, if you force me to, say, Andrew, you got to bet $500 one way or the other. Where do you feel more comfortable getting your money back? Going to be betting on Pip. Yeah. It's, it, if past performance is indicative of the future results, that's the smart bet. This is a somber podcast. but And honestly, folks, here's what I'll say. I don't think it gets much worse than this it's two game stretch of west virginia and north carolina because where hope was after boston college because if things keep going bad for a while hope will be so far down the drain that we'll be fishing for positives we'll and, be all out of hopium by that point yeah like, <laughs> but you know the reality is it's just a kind of a reality check this team is uh, who they are right now but Good podcast, Ricky. Uh, it's been a good time. Uh, we miss you, Mike. Uh, yeah, you... get your uh, get your stuff moved in a in a safe and efficient fashion. Yeah, based uh, on where one... he was like two hours ago on that move, he's probably still moving as we speak. One quick jab at the ACC because that's I think required on our podcasts. Peck's uh, game against Miami next week, uh, or excuse me, in two weeks. Um, no, it is next week. Sorry. Uh, that game is going to be at 1230 on regional sports networks. There is an open slot on the ACC network in that same time frame. Uh, Andrew, would you like to guess what game they're going to be showing in that open slot? Tell me. They're going to be showing Miami, Virginia Tech from last year. <laughs> so the ACC network. It's gonna show last year's Virginia Tech Miami game while Virginia Tech and Miami are playing on regional sports networks and ESPN three. Yeah, I have nothing to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> like we get what, what what kind of conference is this, man? Come on. It's like why for any reason are we even <laughs> replaying that game in general? <laughs> it's like if you're gonna I mean, you're going to accidentally play, click on it and think that they're watching the current game? Like, is that what they think is going to happen? Hey, honey, I'm watching Virginia Tech Miami. Justin Fuente's back. <laughs> yeah. <it's> like... <laughs> Good Lord. Like, come on, man. What is why, is, why is it so dark outside? Like... <laughs> God. <laughs> oh, it's just, it, the ACC has so many problems. Public this service announcement a... to Jeremy. Regional Sports Network. Two weeks from now. Don't confuse yourself. Don't get yourself caught up in a uh, 
a mental fog. But yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, Rate, review, subscribe. Andrew Alex, Ricky the Blue, Mike McDaniel. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast. Talk to you guys next week. Thanks for hanging in there. As always, go Hokies.